Welcome to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. A Dream Mason is a person who's brave enough to declare they have a dream and committed enough to do the work to build it. I know we all have a Dream Mason inside of us, and my dream for this podcast is to support us by giving us a glimpse inside the hearts and minds of leaders, creators, and innovators to help us unleash our inner Dream Mason. Because your dreams don't build themselves. Welcome back to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. Today, I have a guest that I don't think I ever expected to have him on this podcast so early on in the creation of it. This is a a man I look up to uh, practically and spiritually. This is a person who I was introduced to about four years ago by my mom and my aunt, and he's the reason I meditate. He is the person that taught me how to meditate, and he is an icon in the meditation and transformational world. He's an author. He's a meditation teacher. He's a stress management expert. He just really is the real deal when it comes to spirituality and meditation and transformation. I am so excited and honored and grateful to have him here on the podcast today. I am really looking forward to introducing you guys to David G. You will learn a little bit more about him as I introduce him on the actual podcast. And I know you guys will get value. We talk about things like poverty consciousness versus abundance consciousness. We talk about owning our impact. We talk about mindful performance. We talk about the four needs of the heart, slowing our thoughts, how a person can become their master of their own life, and so much more. I know you're going to get a ton of value from this, and I really look forward to hearing from you guys about what you get and what you learn from the master of meditation, David G. Let's get into it. Hey, David, how are you? I am so amazing. Thank you so much, Alex. Um, thank you for creating this, uh, this Dream Mason world, and thanks for inviting me to, uh, to be part of it. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, you, I want to I wanna take a moment and, and tell some, some of the viewers about you, but you are part of the, my creation and, and what I'm building. It actually wouldn't be here if, if it weren't for experiences that I had with you and your meditations. Um, and that's the first thing I really want to share with people is when I started my transformation about four years ago, I was not the, the heart-centered, compassionate, loving person that I, that I am now and that I'm continuing to work to be. And I was not spiritual by any means. And one of the things I first picked up was I wanted to start a meditation practice. And I just couldn't get into it. You know, it's the way people, it's uncomfortable. And my mom and my aunt were big fans of yours for years. And they said to me, you need to check out this guy. You'll love it. And I remember the first time I listened, what grabbed me was the, just the levity and the calmness of who you are, but also you gave me a place to kind of anchor into. You had like a focus of some kind or an intention for a lot of your meditations that are on your website. And I remember being like, I can, I can do this. I can hold on to this. And it's still now four years later, I've done lots of different kinds of meditation. It's still my favorite place to go back to or yours. They, they just, they're very, very grounding. And I want to share one of the most powerful experiences I had was one of your meditations after my grandmother passed away. And I did the meditation. I was living in New York at the time and it ended up spawning me into this free writing exercise that I was able to share with my whole family and just opened up so much about my grandmother and love and who she was as love for our family. So I'm, I'm just, I'm so grateful to have you here and blessed because of, you know, the past and, and our experience together without even knowing each other. Yeah. Well, uh, how beautiful. And thanks for, uh, thanks for including me in, in your growth trajectory and, uh, in your transformation, you know, thank you. Well- so let me, I want to share with people. So you, um, you're an internationally recognized stress management expert. You're a trainer, you're a meditation teacher, and you're an author of several books. You won the Nautilus gold medal winning book with sacred powers, which I actually have right here. Um, there's a critically acclaimed and Amazon number one bestseller, Distressifying, the real world guide to personal empowerment, lasting fulfillment and peace of mind. And then you also have the secrets of meditation. Uh, the Practical Guide to Inner Peace and Personal Transformation, which was also a Nautilus Book Award winner. And I think one of the most interesting things about you that I don't know that people would know is 
you didn't, this wasn't like you, you didn't grow up. I don't, I don't, well, maybe you did. I don't know, but you weren't like in an ashram your whole life. And what, what I know, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong or what you want to put in is that you were in business acquisitions, mergers, finance, and that you actually took on a whole new journey. It sounds like you transformed your life and got into working with Deepak Chopra and we're working with him for about 10 years running his university. And that through that and the work you do now, you've, You've uh, trained more than 200,000 people to meditate and over a thousand teachers you've trained. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Is that, is that, is that story? Is that your transformation in a, in a very, very fast? Yeah, that's, that's it. Which is why um, I think it's so important that, you know, an important message is um, this is available to anyone. This is available to all of us. We can all, come from where we are and launch ourselves um, into a dream. And actually, when I made that shift out of the corporate world um, to another realm, um, um, I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew what I didn't want. <laughs> you know, I knew, um, I knew that for me, uh, stepping out of my pain was, um, was possible, and I was just going to go in any direction that, that I could to make that happen. And so that's, you know, I'm, uh, you know, let my journey be uh, sort of like a tale that everyone can step into because you're never stuck. No matter where you, no, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you define yourself, you can redefine and rebirth and move into that flow. And I think uh, we can all live, uh, we can all live a life that is, uh, truly an unfolding of our dreams and desires. When you talk about it, it, it's, it's almost like you've just been doing this forever. And I know you've been doing it a long time, but how did you, you know, when, when I say you went from finance and mergers and acquisitions, those are cutthroat businesses. I came from the hospitality industry and running restaurant groups and things like that. And that's a pretty fast paced industry also, but how did you just go from, where you were to to working with Deepak Chopra that seems like a huge it seems like a huge jump yeah well I think pain is a really great motivator um we should always seize it that's why when we find ourselves in pain of course we can always curl up into the fetal position which seems like the best move at the time uh whenever we are in pain but um you know uh I worked in uh, I, I worked on one of the higher floors of tower two of the world uh trade center and uh, I left that building <clears throat> about six months before 9-11 uh, to work about 20 blocks further uptown in New York. And, uh, but I had spent my whole life doing that and living that and either in finance or business or, 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 or M&A. And it is cutthroat and it is all about money and margins and winning. And um, in the wake of 9-11, suddenly all of that was, was thrown up in the air. And that's when I really started to ask myself the deeper questions. Um, why am I here? What, you know, um, it actually happened as I was walking down the street in Southern Manhattan in the wake of 9-11, where I walked past a row of cardboard boxes that, that people were living in and a hand reached out of one of those boxes, grabbed my pant leg, and this face peered up at me and said, what's going to be on your tombstone? And that's a much bigger story. And I talk a lot about that in Sacred Powers. But that was really my aha moment. Like, what am I doing here? What is my meaning? What is my legacy? What's my purpose? What's my function? Uh, is what I'm doing now, is that going to be my legacy, my, my contribution to, to this existence? And... Um, I felt so empty and it felt so obviously, no, I'm definitely doing the wrong thing. And I'm somewhat of an extremist. So um, my wife advised me to uh, quit my job and head off to Oxford, England, because this guy, Deepak Chopra, who I'd never heard of, uh, was leading some meditation workshop. And there was an opportunity for personal growth. And maybe I'd find some peace. And so I did that fairly obedient, quit my job, headed off to, uh, to, to England. And um, it was just a week-long meditation retreat, but it was the first time that I had actually unplugged. And it was there that I really learned about this concept, the pattern interrupt. You know, how do we break our non-nourishing behaviors and patterns? How do we step out of pain and move into something else? Really, how do we step out of 
a conditioned life into something that's more you know unconditioned or that has more possibilities and it's by introducing a a break in the action and so that's what i did you know i literally you know unplugged um let go of my life headed off to to england and every day i meditated and went pretty deep and after like the third day of just really going deep into meditation for the first time, some of that weight was lifted off my chest. Some of the pain that I had been experiencing um, from pretty much my whole life being thrown up in the air. And um, I felt joy for the first time in many, many, many years, decades. And so when that was done, I uh, did what, of course, you're supposed to do after hanging out with Deepak. I headed off to India in search of the <laughs> guru. And um, I searched high and low, spent months and months and months searching for answers. And the reality was, at a certain point, I realized, oh, duh, uh, the answer rests inside. In fact, if we can just quiet ourselves down just a little bit, we can hear the answer to every question we could ever ask in our lives. And so I really got some amazing answers to that, headed home and uh, just meditated every single day. And friends of mine were saying, dude, all you do is sit around and meditate now, you know, like get a life. And I was like, oh, it's so much fun. It's so great. I'm living in bliss. And they go like, yeah, but you actually have to function. You know, you can't be, you can't go from like working 18 hours a day to just like sitting and with your eyes closed and, and meditating. So they said, you should go and check out your boy Deepak. He's on the West coast. And I said, why would I want to do that? And they said, well, you could learn to teach people to meditate. And I was like, but I'm from New York. I don't care about anyone else's meditation. <laughs> and they said, well, if you really want to learn something, learn to teach it. And so I said, well, I could see that. So I went out to California and approached Deepak and, uh, and his partner, uh, David Simon, and said, listen, I have this like vast business experience. Let me you know, serve, let me offer that up here. And in exchange, maybe you could expose me to these teachings and put me in situations where I might get closer um, to taking my meditation practice to a higher level. So I became the COO of the Chopra Center. And for me, that was like a beautiful dance, a balance of melding business and, um, and wellness. Because prior to that, I had really thought, um, if you're all business and, um, and no soul, then, you know, it's harsh. It's a tough, it's a tough burning world. And if you're all spiritual and um, that comes before the business, then ultimately you go out of business. And so I said, well, let me find how the two, those two worlds can meld together, how I can live a more conscious existence and um, a more service-oriented business and in that process, I was studying and teaching meditation almost from day one. So pretty quickly, I became certified. And then I got to teach or study meditation every single day for 10 years. And that, you know, I'm so fortunate to have had that opportunity uh, because I got to touch so many people who would tell me, here's what doesn't work for me. Here's what does work for me. Um, this languaging makes sense. That other languaging is too woo-woo and kooky and I can't relate to it. And so that allowed me to really cultivate my ability to translate timeless wisdom into real world practical steps. And for me, that was, that was like the greatest gift that could ever be given to me. And in 2012, I, I left that world to get out there and teach cops and t teach soldiers and teach people from all over the world uh, how to connect without it being woo-woo, without it being cult-like. And uh, even though I look like um, someone who's like part of a cult. Or, I was just going to say, as, as you stroke your hair. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, just so you know, this is not what I looked like when I was working <laughs> in mergers and acquisitions. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but for me, this is like the greatest joy to help people who otherwise um, are either feeling stressed out or are filled with anxiety or struggling um, or who are about to blow up their life, you know, I can tell them, you don't need to blow up your life and head off to India. I've done that for you. Um, I've done, taken all those crazy, kooky, you know, worst practices and best practices. So let me share with you. I didn't even know there were tools. That was my 
that was my biggest constriction. I didn't know there were tools. I didn't know that you could live uh, a hard-charging, fast-paced, goal-oriented life and have all this magnificence and grace and ease flowing through you at the same time. And so that's really what I teach people now, how to essentially have it all, how to live the dream, and how to integrate some tools and techniques that can really help you make more conscious choices so that uh, you can do good and do well. Because I know that's possible. What's the thing? Like you've done, you've done so much in two different worlds, and you've succeeded in both of them. It, it sounds like it, right? Like I don't, you didn't talk too much about the success in the other one, but it really sounds like you had success and, and you completely did a U-turn. What's the thing that motivates you to keep going? Because you could stop and enjoy San Diego and. Yeah, this is the sweet spot of the universe. Uh, but um, I want I want all New Yorkers to hear that. I've lived in New York also. I'm a, I'm a Southern I've always said that yeah. New York is the center of the universe, but this is the sweet spot of the universe. Oh, okay. I believe right. there can okay. be some kind of fusion there. Um, what keeps me going is that uh, the pain that I felt when I was lost and, and feeling empty and uninspired and confused and purposeless you know, that pain is still, you know, very, very fresh to me, even though it's been, you know, 15 years since, since those moments. And I found that um, I'm not better than anybody else. And my story is a lot of people's story. You know, they're in jobs and they haven't really found their right speed. Uh, they're doing things and they feel that they're compromising who they are. Uh, they're afraid to, to be bold and to own their impact. And that really, you know, for me, that's, um, that feels like a, a beautiful mission to be able to share with people. You don't have to blow up your life and you don't have to be afraid and you can integrate uh, things into your life. And I believe we, we can transform the world by transforming ourselves. And so the techniques are easy. So whether I'm teaching cops how to be a little more conscious in terms of um, their guardianship of, of uh, their beat or their lives, or whether I'm talking to business people, showing them how they can really introduce a little more patience, a little more conscious choice making, uh, actually let someone finish a sentence before they dive in, uh, how, how proving that we're right is so overrated, who, who cares um, about that, and that we can tap into aspects of ourselves that we have long denied out of fear or desperation, um, or chemicals or hormones or fight, flight, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but we can, we can, uh, we are the masters of each moment and we can make that call. And so knowing that it's possible and seeing so many people who are stuck or afraid, you know, they have one foot firmly planted in one world and the other foot out there dangling and they're afraid to put it down. And they're certainly afraid to pick up that other foot because of they've got a good thing going. They hate their job, but they like the salary. You know, they hate the um, relationship that they're in. But, you know, they don't want to do the work to try to make it or they don't, they're afraid to, to step away or to make a more, um, you know, they don't want to be perceived as being selfish. Um, but I think that self-care is so important. And if we are really taking care of ourselves on an emotional level, on a physical level, that we're going to serve others in our life at a higher level as well. And that seems like something really rich and beautiful for, you know, to pursue. And um, that's why I do a lot of charity work and I do a lot of things that there is no payoff. And the other things I do pay for that aspect of my life. And I believe that we can, you know, we can move in, in, in a lot of different realms. And as long as we continue to be in service, in service, in service, it all unfolds beautifully. How do you I got two things from what you were sharing. One, one is a lot of service, a lot of giving of yourself, of your time, of your knowledge, of your resources. And I'm of the belief, and it, it sounds like you would agree with me that the, the, we get a lot further in life by giving. The more we can give, we'll actually receive. We don't give to receive, but we will. It's kind of the, um, it's almost like the law of the universe. Like what goes out, it comes all back around. How do you work with people that don't see it that way, that don't, you know, in your book, you talk a lot about abundance and people that think like it's about getting and taking versus giving. How do you get them to see when they're, there's totally just like, they're just missing? Yeah. Well, 
you know, not everyone's receptive to just the conversation of poverty consciousness versus abundance consciousness. Sometimes it seems a little too esoteric or weird or woo-woo. Um, but if you, if you see the world as this, um, there's only one slice of pie left and I got to get it before someone else gets it. Um, or to truly have the mindset of, you know what? The pie is big and getting bigger. And if this slice goes, bake another one or there's more. There's, you know, I believe that this concept of owning our impact. So many times we don't do things because we believe in some way that there's like this council of elders out there judging us, you know, making the call on us like, oh, that wouldn't be appropriate or, oh, really? You know, you're going to do that or who are you to do this? You know, those types of things. And I believe that once we can say, you know what, I can live a fairly unconventional uh, unconventional choice-making existence. I can do things that haven't necessarily been done. I mean, we think of all the great people that we admire so much uh, in our life. Just pick, you know, and, and, and maybe, you, maybe you admire, you know, Elon Musk or maybe you admire Oprah or, or Steve Jobs. You know, we can, we can just keep naming people. And yes, these are larger-than-life characters. But uh, what, so why not us? Why not us, you know, doing the thing that fills us? You know, when's the last time you hugged someone and as you were hugging them, you're like, are they giving me as much as I'm actually transmitting to them? You know, we never really even think that. Um, and hopefully when we're kissing someone, there's <laughs> also that going on. Um, and so like those two simple things, like hugging and kissing, which all of us, you know, do at some point. You don't have to be like a big hugger or kisser, but, you know, you do it. And you're not like taking, you're not keeping score. You're not taking notes like, well, I, I squeezed a little bit harder than that person. <laughs> and so if we can apply that same model to how we move through life, um, that, you know, Einstein said energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only be changed from one form to another. I like to, I prefer, you know, he's Einstein, so who am I to argue with Einstein? But I prefer the word transform rather than change, you know, so it can only be transformed. So like, there's nothing new under the sun. So we get to sort of like recreate, reinvent, rebirth, step into a new beginning pretty much in every moment. We can break the mold anytime we want. And yeah, it's going to be a little uncomfortable because no one's done it or we think no one's done it, but why not risk that? Why not trust that somehow the universe will deliver us to exactly where we need to be. And in that moment, uh, we'll do something that feels cool or great or try that thing. Um, you know, I was advised by a lot of business coaches and by some of my mentors. Uh, about seven years ago, I started, started giving, um, creating a meditation and giving it away every single week. So... You know, I've been doing that, you know, there's been, there's over a thousand of them now that are out there. They've all been given out there for free and I've packaged some of them and I've created albums out of them and, and I've sold some of them as well, you know, cause I don't want to think this is all about just give everything away and join the Peace Corps and everything's beautiful and perfect. I believe there can be that dynamic exchange, but you know, when people said to me, why are you going to give it away? Won't that devalue it? And I've said, no, I poured my heart into that meditation, but hopefully now it'll reach a million people instead of 3,000 who will buy it. So let me just keep creating content until there's just this body of work that exists out there. I never thought that I would create a thousand guided meditations, but now they're on you know, Spotify and Insight Timer and Amazon and iTunes and Apple Music. And, and so for me, that's been great to me. And what, and what has that done? As I travel the world, people say, oh yeah, I listen to you on Insight Timer. It's free. You know, I didn't get paid for that. But when the person says to me, I listen to you, oof, is that payment? You know, that's like, that's unbelievable. Someone in another country that I never would have met and were connected through a practice, uh, through a, you know, through a, I don't know, through, through stillness and silence. And so I believe that if we live a life of service, then all things that we truly want will come to us. I think... We shouldn't be reckless with it. We shouldn't be random about it. But I, again, I believe if we're 
purposeful, you know, so that's why I hold teacher trainings and people pay for that to become certified by me. And that's why I have workshops and, and things along those lines. But for everyone who can't come to my teacher training or doesn't want to go that deep or doesn't want to hang out with me uh, in the sweet spot of the universe, I would say, well, come on, you got to be crazy not to do that. Um, but um, so someone who's never going to leave their couch, we can, we can connect, you know, the fact that you and I have been connected, you know, for years through meditation and, and you're, and, you know, members of your family, uh, in fact. So for me, um, I had to reassess what am I trying to accomplish? And I, you know, uh, uh, a funny line that I have is like global domination through surrender. You know, that's, that's like my mission. If I can just keep surrendering and, and allowing, um, then everything I want ultimately will flow to me. And if it doesn't, then maybe I should reassess why that thing is important to me. I, I mean, there's, you just, there's so much you just gave. Um, I'm, I, the thing that I'm, I'm just present to the, yeah, you give so much away and like, I wouldn't have your book right? If I didn't know you through your meditations. And I likely wouldn't have known you through your meditations if they weren't the way you provided them. And I don't know how many people I've shared your work with. Client, like almost every client. I mean, I think my free guide, which is like seven ways to generate joy today on my, on my website, when it gets to the meditation piece, I think you're the person I say, hey, if you don't know how to meditate, this is a great resource of a person to go get instructed by. Um, and that's a gift. You know, it's not, not just for me, but to all these people that you provide this with. And I, I think one of the things I've been doing, um, the course in miracles and one of the big takeaways, which I just hear in your speaking repeatedly, it's like, you can't pour from an empty cup. Right. And when we're, when we're hoarding things or keeping them or afraid to share, we're actually telling the world or the universe that we don't have enough or we don't have it. And so then when we get more of that. And when we freely give, it's kind of like we create more and more space for new things. I actually, I just had a family, I just had a family dinner. And one of the things that I thought about when I was at the dinner was when I was a kid, I used to never share. People would want to take food from my plate or, you know, you'd be like trying to get the last one. And there was never a scarcity food in my house. There was plenty of food. And I thought now how it's so much easier and so much more enjoyable to actually share and let other people and there's still, you know, sometimes you have something you really like, but when you get to share it with somebody, the enjoyment you get, kind of the same as what you said when you meet somebody in another country and they tell you, it doesn't have to, and it could be anything. Sharing, it opens up, it connects us. And I think that's, I think that's what we all want, is we want connection, we want love. We actually want to hug a little tighter and kiss a little more. Um, but it's, it's really apparent in who you are that you, these are the things you're sharing. Yeah, I'm life's too short to be keeping score. You know, at a certain point, everyone and everything we love will be gone. And at a certain point, we'll be gone. So we have to have, um, we have to trust in something bigger than us. And I'm not saying, you know, who you need to pray to or anything like that. But we need to trust that there's something bigger than us. And if we can trust that there's something bigger than us, then uh, whatever that thing is or whatever that being is, um, that should give us the confidence that, you know, the next wave of this, wherever that takes us, is also going to deliver us to exactly where we need to be. And that's why, you know, I've often said, you know, this moment is perfect because every single moment leading up to this moment has been perfect. The pain, the trauma, the, the, the agony, the, the wounds, uh, the breakups, the heartaches, you know, all that has taken us to this moment. And then we get to ask the question, all right, here we are. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to like talk about being a victim forever? Or shall we move from victim to survivor to thriver? You know, shall we take that journey knowing that um, we can be a little bolder, that we can trust a little more, that we can accept that we're in the right spot. And we can also let go of stuff. Stuff's not working. You know, if, if you're running a company uh, and stuff's not working, you stop doing it. 
you know, you're like, this doesn't work. We've all been in one of those meetings at a company. You know, everyone who's, who's with us right now, you know, has been in one of those meetings at, at some company where someone has said, why do we do this? And then someone says, oh, uh, we've always done that, <laughs> you know? Yep. And it's like, uh, shall we continue to do it just because we've always done it? And we can always make those exact same bold moves in our own life. You know, why, why should I continue this behavior? How's that working for you? Let's, let's stop it today. And I think that meditation is the tool that allows us to go from condition, 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 condition. Let me take a break here. And then an unconditioned moment. Maybe we go back doing the exact same thing we were doing. But if we keep allowing that break to come in, maybe the next step will be a little different. Maybe it can be a little more purposeful. And so, you know, I've made a commitment to, I don't do anything that doesn't feel great. I get forced into things and I'll say to myself, I created this. I am hanging out in a room of people and I don't want to be here, but I said yes at some point and I traveled to that space. So I am here. It's a co-creation in this moment, but I'm trying to make all of my decisions with greater purpose. And I've been doing that now for about 11 years where I'm saying like, I don't hang out with somebody unless I love them. And when I find myself in a space and it's like, and I'm not loving that person, I'll say, well, either I need to start loving them or I need to leave the room. You know, it's one of the two. I need to make that move. And I think we, we all get to choose that. You know, so when people say, oh, I have to go visit my whatever. No, you don't. You get to visit. And you can always say no. Again, there's no council of elders who are going to sit there and go, you really should have. You know, it's not like your whole family is getting together in a room every time you make a decision to attend or not attend. And they're all going, oof, that was a very, very bad choice. He's not honoring the family code or the tradition. Same thing at work, same thing in life. And, uh, you know, I think we can, we get to choose. We get to choose every single moment. And that's not, that's not a chore. That's an amazing opportunity. And if we can realize what was once closed, we can open. And if it's, and if we can't open it, find another opening. Yeah. I hear you talking a lot about the perceived meaning that we create in our minds about how things are going to go, how they should go, how they shouldn't go. I also get a lot of, um, and, uh, Victor Frankel in your speaking, the ability to, you know, there's the, the thing that happens and then there's a moment and then there's the reaction and like our one power lies in that moment before the reaction to choose right right and so we can even say yeah all this horrible shit is happening to me but what am i going to do with it (laughs) i can acknowledge it's horrible it's horrible in every single way as the great sage popeye the sailor man said it's all i can stands i can't stands no more we get to to choose that and that's you know i'm i'm a big fan of, of, of victor frankel and just that ability of like it's coming into us we can't control that life is happening how we digest it how we ingest it how we translate it how we interpret it how we then express it or flow it out all of that's in our control And, um, you know, there's a beautiful line in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, verse 47. We have total control over our own actions and no control over the fruit of those actions. And we spend so much time in the fruit. And that's one of the reasons that we fear to act. We create this whole fruit of these potential things that could unfold. If I do this, they'll think that or they'll say that or I'll be perceived as this. And instead, like, if you're going to do it, own it. You know, own that stuff. Um, own your boldness and uh, or, or own your introspection. Uh, but, you know, back to Viktor Frankl, when we meditate, when we, when we ritualize it and when we show up and do it every day, you know, it's like brushing our teeth. You know, our teeth are white because we brush them. We keep our teeth because we brush them every day, not because we go to the dentist and the dentist goes, woof, your mouth is a horror show. 
and then we go home and brush, you know, wildly. Um, if we brush, then we don't have cavities and then we don't have dental issues. The same thing. If we meditate every day, if we can figure out a practice and it can be an innocent 16 second practice and it can be a much, much longer one and it can be guided meditations and it can be breath work and it can be, there's so many ways that we can connect to stillness and silence as like bookends of our day to start our day, to set the trajectory and to end our day, either, you know, late afternoon or, or early evening to just let go of what we've absorbed. You know, it goes back to that Viktor Frankl, this concept of like, we get to choose. But if, if we're wrapped up in the thing, if hormones and chemicals are surging into us, if we're living in chronic stress or fight flight, where we're not giving ourselves any break in the action, then of course, uh, in that moment, it's going to be a lot harder for us to choose other. But if we, if we meditate, if we introduce pattern interrupts into our life, even if we just take a breath this long, we don't even do that. No one breathes enough on this planet. And so if we can just like, let me put a little space in between what comes in and what goes out. Let me put, you know, 60,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day. That's a thought every 1.2 seconds. They are coming. Meditation is never designed to stop thoughts. That's like a big misconception. A lot of people think, well, I'm meditating, but I still have thoughts. Good. That means you're alive. No thoughts flatlining. <laughs> so we get, to, we get to do a practice that allows us to, you know, actually allow the thoughts to slow, not stop. But when they're slowed, then we can live our life almost in slow motion and say, oh, here's a choice. I think I'll, oh, no, I think I'll give that one back. Next. Oh, this looks better than that. And we can really start making more conscious choices. And I think that's the secret to um, following your dream. It's, it's making conscious choices and not being driven by hormones, chemicals, uh, reflexiveness, but being driven by reflectiveness and uh, not by knee-jerk, but by purpose. And I think it all comes back to that we get to make more purposeful decisions, more unconditioned choices. Yeah, that's my biggest takeaway from learning to meditate has been it, it occurs like the world slowed down and my thoughts slowed down. And then even when, so I'm less triggered, I'm less reactive when I'm in situations, I don't flip off. I don't, I, I was never like fly off the handle kind of person, but my mood would shift. It might not, other people might not have seen it, but I could feel a shift happen instantly. And now there's a, a slower transition. I get to actually choose where I go next. And I think even when I'm not able to do that, I can choose if I notice that there's a person around me that always, they're able to hit that hot button in me. Now, instead, I can actually say, you know what, I don't necessarily, I'm going to take a break from that person. But I think even that is, is from meditation, is the calmness, the thinking, the being more present. I'm curious, because when we, when, when we listen to you or when we hear you speak, it's almost, you almost get this impression that like nothing could ever push your buttons or rattle you. And so I'm really interested and curious, like how you get triggered or how you get stopped you know, even after all these years, because you're still a human being. Sure, sure. I have expectations that people are going to treat me a certain way or act to act a certain way with me, that I'm going to have a request and that as the request leaves my mouth, I'm expecting it's going to be met. And when it doesn't, that's like, what, what? So absolutely. Um, you know, I just want to touch on one thing before I, before I go there. Yeah, uh, go ahead. You know, we're living in this this um, this world right now where we're watching Twitter, um, and Twitter's not the the bad thing, but we're watching people destroy their lives over not having the ability to go. Oof, that really bothered me what I just read, and then we're. You know, and we think that, and we do that with emails, we do that, but with social media, you can't take that back. And, you know, you know, just this week we watched, you know, Roseanne Barr, you know, blow up her life. And um, I'm not going to get into like, you know, what she said or why or, or any of that, but clearly the, whoever hits that send button on the tweet isn't meditating and doesn't have a stillness and silence practice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we see it, you know, where it's coming. So yeah, stuff um, st stuff happens to me constantly where my need is not met. 
but you know we have like those uh, attention affection appreciation and acceptance those are like the four needs of the heart uh attention affection appreciation and acceptance and so whenever the one of those four needs of the heart are not being met just like there's the potential to be like oh yeah and then to lean in or to bark or to be harsh or to send the, the, the terminal tweet um, or to post something that we're like, as we're posting it, we're like, why am I doing this? Um, if we can integrate just a little stillness and silence into us, then we can, you know, I have certain rituals. So when I see a tweet that pushes my button, you know, I'll have this, I'll have this whole conversation with myself. Actually, I have a couple of techniques. Reaching for soda is one of my big techniques. You know, in that moment where someone pushes my button, because we're all going to get pushed, um, I ask, you know, I feel it in a certain place. I know when someone pushes my button, it's right here. It's a, this exact place. I feel a, a burning sensation, and I know it's like a fuse has been lit, and I know that heat is going to get hotter and hotter and hotter. It's going to flow up through here, and I know if it crosses my jawline, I will scorch the village. I know that. It's part of, it's, it's part of my upbringing. I'm, I'm from New York. You know, we were like trained in that, in that technique. Um, and so um, I reach for soda in those moments. I say to myself, stop. I say it out loud in my head, stop. Then, oh, um, you know, I observe. I float up to the top of the room. So sometimes it's me and whatever that irritant is or whoever that irritant is. I keep floating up until I'm looking down and there's just two children of God. Sometimes I have to go up to like clouds. Sometimes I have to go to the moon. But at a certain point, I'm up there and it's just like when you're flying in a plane and it's just like cars look like ants. So in that moment, I'm just observing. Then I detach. So I need to put some physical space between me and the irritant. If I'm face to face with someone, I just lean back a little bit. If I'm on the phone with them, I move them away from me. If I've suddenly just gotten a text or, or an email and I'm on my device, I hold it away. Or if I'm on my laptop, I'll back up. But we also need to, well, I also need to put some energetic distance between me and them. And I'll do that with a breath. So I'll actually go, or from, you know, on my laptop, now, obviously if I'm face to face with someone, I don't breathe out loud, but I'll, I'll do some, you know, some of my meditation breathing, you know, um, quiet, continuous breathing or something along those lines where I'll just like do that. So that gives me my detachment physically and energetically. And then a S O D a stop, observe, detach. The a is for awaken. And in that moment, you know, we've all heard what would Jesus do? What would the Buddha do? What would His Holiness the Dalai Lama do in this moment? This is where I ask myself, you know, what would the best version of me do in this moment? Because I know the best version of me doesn't need to be right. The best version of me doesn't need to impose my will. The best version of me doesn't need to go, ha, gotcha. The best version of me doesn't need to get outraged. You know, the best version of me you know, lives with love. The best version of me knows that, you know, global domination through surrender. I sort of like Tai Chi it. I ole it. I let it come. Ole! Or, you know, Bruce Lee, just let that energy pass right through. So this is where I ask myself, here I am in this sacred, precious, present moment. What would the best version of me do? Now, I've gotten to the point where I can ask all that in under five seconds. I can do stop, observe, detach, awaken, and ask myself, what would the best version of me do right now? And that takes me about two and a half seconds. And it takes about five seconds for the hormones and chemicals from this little spark that's been lit to get here. And I know suddenly I've introduced a pattern interrupt. I've asked myself, what would the best version of me do? Best version of me doesn't care about that tweet. Best version of me should have stopped looking at Twitter about an hour ago, you know, best version of me needs to like get off social media and write something, create something, help someone, serve someone, heal something. Um, Cause I don't need to be wasting my time with this other stuff. And so, you know, probably, you know, 90 times out of a hundred, I'll choose the right thing. 10 times out of a hundred. Yeah. I might scorch the village, but um, I don't believe we're here to be perfect. You know, upon scorching the village, as I'm scorching the village, I'll say to myself, I'm scorching the village right now. Let me, you know, I left some poop in that room over there. Let me go back and clean it up. You know, let me apologize. Um, and it's allowed me to be uh, less harsh, more patient, 
allowed allowed someone else's thought to exist and it's really been a a great growth tool for me you know i think i'm a better person because of it and um you know as of right now um i've written those those toxic nuclear emails but then i clear out the address line and send them to myself you know Imagine that, you know, writing a really scathing email to somebody, take their name out, send it to you, and then sit and read it, you know, and just keep sending it to yourself. By the third time you've sent it to yourself, you realize, I definitely am not sending that to the other person. I've, I've done that and, and, and cried when I've realized, gee, I was that angry. I could be that mean. I don't want to be that. Best version of me never wants to be that. And usually what happens is instead of me like sending the, the nuclear email, I call that person up and I go, you know, I was thinking about you and I just want to tell you how much I love you. Thank you. <laughs> so that's the shift. Um, at least if I'm angry, I'm, it's a conscious choice, but I know I could always be more articulate. I could always be more impeccable with my word and I could always um, be a better version. And that's why, you know, back to our, our theme of, of, of rebirth, of reinvention. I don't want to be the person I was five hours ago when I got upset. I want to be someone who sees, you know, greater perspective and can allow that to just move through me so I can move forward. How do we, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you and, and I'm thinking about my life as I, as I through you. And one of the things that's coming up in, in my space as I listen to you is, your masculine, powerful man who worked in a masculine industry in New York, in the most masculine of cities, right? And you transformed your life and I transformed my life. And I think that, hey, what I notice out in the world is women are much more open to this and men that that own their, uh, I want to say like their divine feminine or their powerful feminine more. Yeah. But people that are more in the masculine, whether they be men or women and more in the masculine, um, have more trouble with this. It seems like it's more confronting. They push it away more. It, it feels too woo-woo, whether it is or it isn't. It's right. How do we get more of those people to take a look, open up, embrace? Because I see that so much possibility for change in the world through that population of people. You know, I think it's so important. Obviously, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, but and not everyone's ready you know, when you're ready, you're ready. But the reality that we have to understand is like the world is wholeness. The world, earth, the universe, our existence contains darkness and light. It contains fear and love. It contains, um, you know, uh, anger and, and peace. It, it contains um, that mass, the yin and yang. It contains um, patience and forward velocity. And quite honestly, nothing can get done unless there's both. So even the people we see as masculine, um, they're, you know, they're yin and yang. They actually have a, a divine feminine aspect that they have either repressed or that they won't connect to or that they won't acknowledge exists. You know, so like what's, what's uh, divine masculine? It's being um, a warrior. It's being a, um, you know, uh, only, only moving forward. It's being the lock it down, get it done, power through. I get it. It's absolutely, you know, those, those are the traits of that. And what's divine feminine? It's space holding. It's nourishing. Um, it's creative. It's, um, you know, in this context, uh, it's allowing there to be a breath or some type of pulling back the bow. If we could just like take that one um, metaphor of like, you know, the archer is firing, that's masculine energy. Pulling back the bow is feminine, divine feminine energy. You can't shoot the arrows unless you're pulling back. You can't accomplish your greatest stuff unless you are allowing there to be a space. And that's why even our greatest actions are preceded by stillness, by moments of, re of reflection. It's uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, verse 48, where Krishna, God, says to Arjuna, the greatest warrior of all time, when Arjuna says, so God, how am I supposed to live life? 
How am I supposed to walk through the world? And Krishna replies to him, Yoga sta kuru karmani. Yoga sta, establish yourself in the present moment, kuru karmani, then perform action. So pull back the bow and then fire it. So get still and then act. So if we can remind ourselves that the greatest actions anyone can ever take are preceded by moments of reflection, of stillness, of divine feminine incubation energy, then we could look at any great accomplishment in sports, in war, in business, in music, in theater, in entertainment, in entrepreneurial, whatever, all preceded by a moment of incubation, of stillness and silence, of self-reflection or of reflection, of planning. So who filled with divine masculine doesn't want to have the best edge? The best edge comes from you know, I, there was a there's a period of time where I used to work with um, John Thiel, who was the CEO of of, um, of Merrill Lynch, and um, very very gracious man. And of course, you know, leading the thundering herd of twenty thousand financial advisors, you know. And his philosophy was, if our financial advisors are have more peaceful and happy home lives if they have better and, and better communication and more patient communication with um, their clients, if they're taking better care of themselves and really nourishing themselves, then they're going to treat our clients and their investments and their goals at a higher level. And so it's called mindful performance. We're always going to be better if we can take a breath first before we think, speak, or act. And so I don't care who you are. Um, you know, when you rush into something, hopefully it'll work. When you proceed, not more cautiously, but just by first pulling back the bow and then launching with a little present moment and then acting with a little reflection and then speaking or acting, um, we're going to be a better version of ourselves. So anyone who says, no, 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 that's, that's, that's stuff for, for, for softer people. It's like, okay, you know, so let's call, you know, let's Oprah soft, you know, Steve Jobs soft, uh, Richard Branson soft, you know, we can go on and on, you know, some of the greatest minds, you know, of our time, you know, these are all people who actually had daily meditation practices. And so I think that it's a tough message for someone to swallow, but that person is looking for an edge. That person is looking to be a higher performer. And if we can just slow that person down just for a minute and say, I've got a way for you to have an edge. You know, I've got a way for you to be a more conscious performer, make a better decision in the heat of the moment. Um, and you'll make more money from that, or you'll, you'll accomplish more, you'll hit your targets, or you'll achieve your goals, or the margins will increase, or pick the thing, whatever it is. Then who says no to that? Yeah, I love that. Like you, you you actually use their language like they want an edge and actually connected to them or the people I was worth, you know, hypothetically speaking about right. from something that actually that can anchor into them. That's great. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, I got some rapid fires for you. They came to me okay. as we were doing this. <laughs> um, so first off, what's the biggest way this is actually, this might not be a rapid fire. This might be one more before, but what's the biggest way that this has changed your life? In, in a personal level? I find that I have deeper connections with everyone that I interact with. And I feel that my connections to people, certainly in the businesses that I was in, were, were much more um, transactional. And... Uh, that has morphed into my connections being relationships. And so there's context built around my interactions with people as opposed to this, 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 you know. Um, and that has brought um, greater depth to those connections. And so I don't have um, 
like the, the, the friends, the people in my life, my front row, um, those people, um, we have deeper connections. We have a deeper understanding of what motivates us. Uh, I, you know, I, I'll, I, I don't want to blame it on being a New Yorker, but, you know, the, the classic New Yorker is, um, I'm also a Taurus, you know, so I'm like a Taurus type A New Yorker in, in Ayurveda, I'm a Pitta, you know, <laughs> just, just that alone should make me have to like move, you know, to, to move to some other place. So the, I would say like the odds were stacked against me, um, to be uh, more reflective or to be more patient or to be more accepting. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't want that to define me. I, I, I'm really excited that I own when I'm an asshole and when I'm amazing. I want to own all of that. And I don't want to say, oh, well, the reason I was an a-hole was because of that. Uh, but the reason I'm amazing is because I'm amazing. You know, I don't want to be so inauthentic with that. So, you know, I, I, I want to own it all. And I, I want to own my commitment to being um, a better version. And so I think that, you know, through, through my whole journey, I've been on a, on a, a mission to be better, to, to not make the same mistakes 12 times, maybe 11, but, but not 12, um, or to, or to learn and go, I will never make that one again. Or I'm so, so sorry. Can you ever forgive me? Those words just came out of my mouth and I was, you know, uh, I was thoughtless in that. So, you know, I think, you know, my biggest, um, the ripple that goes through me all the time is, you know, I want to be a better version which comes back to rebirth. I want to give myself permission to just be better than I was uh, maybe a few hours ago. That could be a lot of pressure sometimes. So sometimes I say, can I be better than I was last week maybe? Or can I be better than I was last month? Um, but uh, because I want to be a better, like, so it's not like I want more money. It's not, I want greater happiness. It's one, like, yes, 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 all those things. But I want to be a better version. And I, and, and I truly believe that we can lead with love, which is the divine feminine. And we can do that. You know, I mean, imagine, you know, think of like in playing hockey, you know, if you just hold the puck on your stick and you don't give any indication of where it's going, that's like yoga stakuru karmani, you know, just like hold it there and then do it. Same thing with, with, with a penalty kick, same thing with, you know, quarterback sneak, same thing, you know, those are sports analogies, but it's the same thing with, with almost anything. If we can come from a place of stillness, then our next step is going to be more expansive, more creative and more powerful. Yeah. That's one long version yeah. of, of, of the answer. But it's all good. It's it was, it's good. It gave us a sense of, of a lot more of you. And I really wanted to know personally, like how this work has impacted your life, because we we've got to really see how it impacts everyone else from through you. But I really so thanks for that. Um, if you're recommending one book, what would it be? What's what would be aside aside from your own books? What would be the one book? Oh, you mean other than this? Um, <laughs> is there another book? Um, I w <laughs> the book that I would recommend that everyone read, regardless of your religious orientation, regardless of um, your philosophy, regardless of your belief system, is the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, the translation that I prefer is Eknath Iswaran, but there are hundreds of translations. His just happens to be um, poetic. And um, Einstein read it every day. Emerson read it every day, Thoreau read it every day, Gandhi read it every day. And you can just like pick it up and open it up and use it as a guide for like, how, what are the choices I should do today? How shall I live my life today? Or how can I integrate this? It's just like Course in Miracles. You could just open Course in Miracles up and go, totally. okay, you know, yeah. today, um, grievance or miracle, and then live your day, you know, according to that. So the Gita is a, is a, a magnificent story of uh, purpose, meaning, um, life, death, karma, dharma, um, love. You know, so many, so many ripplings uh, of that. And so, you know, I've read that book several hundred times. 
and sometimes I've stayed just in in one you know one chapter one verse you know for for weeks so I would say the Bhagavad Gita translated as the song of the Lord but you do not have to be you know it's not a religious book you know Einstein didn't read it because he was a Hindu you know Einstein read it because it gave him insight into decision making and so I that's probably it's an easy go-to for me if you could teach one person, one living person, either meditation or mindfulness or, you know, pretty much the things that you do, who would that person be? Jeez. Um, this sounds so totally absurd, but right now I would teach Donald Trump to connect to the stillness and silence that rests within it, it, it actually doesn't sound absurd at all. It, <laughs> I know that there would be more conscious choices. I know that. I don't know what they'd be, but I know there would be more conscious choices. I appreciate the honesty that saying what you really felt, whether it was the right, wrong, or otherwise answer. Um, all right. Now I got one that is just funny and playful. And it was something that my mom and I were talking about before I got on here was, so I've, we've both seen photos of you where you got bracelets almost like halfway up to the forearm. How long does it take you to put them on when you got them all on? When you're fully loaded on the bracelets and the beads, how long does it take you? Uh, when I leave my home, I'm wearing bracelets. So this is, this is just me hanging out at home. You know, yeah, yeah. It's probably <laughs> 20 or so embedded in there. And I don't, these never come off. I've showered with these. I sleep with these. These are like, these are like my core. Um, okay. And then on top of that, I have like a, a mala bead that's been blessed by the Dalai Lama. So I wear that. Another one is um, coral. It's a coral mala uh, with rude raksha beads. So that um, takes away some of the fire. If you, if you believe in Ayurveda or any of that. Another one is like this um, bracelet that my dad got me on online. He was online one day and he saw a bracelet with like some amethyst stone and, and it, the name of the bracelet was Meditate. So he bought it for me. But so I wear that. Um, it's a silver bracelet. Um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good at this. I can like pop all my bracelets on uh, in less than five minutes. That is awesome. <laughs> um, where can people, I, so people can buy your books on Amazon. That's where I got mine. They can buy them. Can they buy them right from your website? Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. You can go to davidg.com and um, actually you, if you go there, it'll have a synopsis of the book and then it gives, you know, I don't know. Some people are Barnes and Noble. Some people are chapters Indigo. Some people sure. uh, Amazon. So there's like 12 different. I also support smaller bookstores there as well. Who, who do online stuff um, and pretty much all the books are the same price. Although it's hard to stand in the way of that juggernaut of, known as Amazon, which is like well, slowly controlling everything we do in life. Well, I know on your website, they also have, you have like some of the retreats you're doing and different places you're teaching meditation. You're, you're going to likely meet me in person at one of those soon. Cause I just know learning to teach meditation. Is um, how else can people keep up with you? What's the way, the best way to kind of keep track of you, keep up with you, stop um, you? I'm pretty active on uh, social media and it's actually me, which is insane. But um, so every post and every like and every comment is actually me. Um, so you can follow me on Instagram, David G Meditation. You can follow me um, on Facebook. I am uh, facebook.com slash flow of love. Um, but the site is David G. Uh, you can visit me at davidg.com, D-A-V-I-D-J-I.com. Um, but, you know, my my meditations are on Spotify and Insight Timer and Pandora and Apple Music and Picket. It's there. Um, but if you want to join the David G Sweet Spot community, which is free, and you can always unsubscribe, and I will not share your data, <laughs> unlike somebody else whose initials are MZ, um, I will not share your data with an app or trade it in any way. Um, Every week I send out a, a free guided meditation, a free video. Um, it's sort of like my, um, it's my dream mason. It's my version of my dream mason. And uh, so I encourage people to, uh, to sign on for that, you know, and if you like that and you, if you don't like it, you can always leave. But, uh, yeah. you know, well, like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty much around and there's at least 200 free guided meditations on my website with a whole bunch of different themes. So 
you should be able to find the thing that you're challenged by in a given moment um, or want more of and lock into that. And they're between eight and 20 minutes. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's one of the cool things. They're all like, you can go through them and see the themes they're, it's so clear what they're about, but also, you know, when I usually meditate, I go for about 20 minutes, you have those, but then you also have these like little quick five, six minute ones when you just need something, you know, right. before walking into a meeting, take five minutes. Right. David, I, I'm, I just want to, um, throughout this whole time, I was so present to you being just love and light and fire and joy and authenticity and kind of the word that, that, I see is, is just the universe. You really just hold all of it. You're so real and authentic. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for actually being somebody that I met over Instagram, connecting with me, being so open to this conversation. Um, you're, you're, even though you're, you're, you're doing all these things and you've accomplished all this, you're so accessible and so real. And I think that's what makes the work you're doing so powerful. So I'm just very grateful for the time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words. And we're connected forever now. I'm not going to stalk you, but we are connected through <laughs> stillness and silence. And, um, you know, you're doing such beautiful work and touching so many people and really raising the bar. And, uh, you know, people should connect and, and be coached by you because you are someone who's constantly reinventing, raising it higher and higher and higher. So uh, it's, an, it's an honor to hang out with you. Thank you. Thanks, David. I'll see you in, uh, in San Diego at some point in the near future. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll see you on the beach one day. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dream Mason podcast. Please subscribe to the Dream Mason podcast so you don't miss an episode. Share it with a friend and give us a review on iTunes. I am grateful to have had you here. If you want more, you can follow or reach out to me, Alex Terranova, on Instagram at inspirationalalex or at thedreammason.com, or email me at alex at thedreammason.com. And remember, you are a Dream Mason, because your dreams don't build themselves.